All right, take your Bibles tonight to the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 9, Hosea chapter number 9, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 1, we'll read up through verse number 9, Hosea chapter 9, and let's begin reading in verse number, ni- verse number 1. Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy as other people, for thou hast gone a-whoring from thy God. Thou hast loved a reward upon every corn floor. The floor and the winepress shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean things in Assyria. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Their sacrifices shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. All that eat thereof shall be polluted, for their, uh, for their bread, for their soul, shall not come into the house of the Lord. So last week we were kind of looking at the first four verses here uh, with the idea when blessings become a curse. And uh, God had blessed Israel and uh, blessed the land. And instead of continuing to look to God and follow God and trust God, they forsook God. And instead were looking more to what they were receiving instead of who they were receiving it from. And, and so God says all of those things have, have now become a curse to them. And uh, God was even going to curse the land as well. But as we look in verse number 5, he continues here. He says, what will ye do in the solemn day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. The pleasant places for their silver. Nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad. For the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God. But the prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. Kind of last week as we were looking at this, as we saw how blessings become a curse, as we look in these verses from verses 5 to 9, I think we really see, as was mentioned in verse number 7, we see what Hosea speaks of as the day of recompense. The day of recompense. And we'll look at specifically what the word recompense means in just a moment, but let's just kind of begin in verse number 5 and work our way through these, these verses here. He says, what will you do in the solemn day? So again, think about it. He's, he's already said that what has been satisfying them, how they were, uh, the land was bountiful and producing. He says, no longer are they going to receive satisfaction from it. In fact, he says, um, even the, the offerings and the religious uh, rituals and things that they were doing, he says in verse number four, uh, neither shall they be pleasing unto him. Uh, their sacrifices uh, shall be unto them as the bread of mourners. So God says, all their rituals, all the religious things that they were doing, God says, it's not pleasing to me. He says, I don't really care about it. It it doesn't mean anything to me. It's all just show. There's no sincerity to it. There's no heart in it. Uh, It's not even really for me, God says. It's, It's for all these other gods that you have chosen to serve. And so he continues here in verse number five. He says, what will you do 
in the solemn day, in the day of the feast of the Lord. So he is, he's pronouncing judgment upon them, and he's asking, what will you do about your holy days? When you are taken as captives, what are you going to do about your holy days? What will you do when you're supposed to be worshiping the Lord? When you were taken captive, how will you worship then? How, how are you going to worship? Where will your religion be when you are in bondage? Because here's, here's what he's saying. You had the opportunity to do what was right before the Lord in Israel. You, you had the opportunity to follow the Lord and do what was right, but you chose to walk away from him. Now, they, they still kept up the religious farce. They, they still kept up the religious pretense, right? Again, they're still offering sacrifices and they're still keeping the solemn days and the feasts and things like that. But he's saying, what, what's gonna, what are you going to do when now you're taken captive and you're taken into the land of Assyria and, and now you are in bondage? How are you going to, where, where are you going to be able to do these, these, uh, these feasts and how are you going to be able to keep the holy days and how are you going to be able to worship when now you are captive? Think about it. They were so concerned about the rituals. They were so concerned about keeping the appearance that he's saying, all right, now when you're taken in captivity, when you're taken in bondage, how are you going to keep this up? How are you going to continue to do this when this really means absolutely nothing? It means nothing. You had the opportunity while you were in Israel to do right before the Lord. You had the opportunity to follow the Lord and to serve the Lord, but you chose to walk away. So what will you do when you can't even keep up your religious pretenses? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when, when what you're looking at to, if we could say, satisfy religiously, even though, again, God says, I don't care anything about it. It, it doesn't please me at all. But they were so, it was so ingrained in them that we have to do these religious things, these religious pretenses. He says, what are you going to do then when you're taken captive? What are you going to do when you can't do those things anymore? It's interesting when you think about what happened when Israel was in Egypt. And obviously God had not given them the law. They didn't have the sacrifices and things like that. But when they were in Egypt... They knew the promises of God, and of course, they cried out to God. They cried out to God for deliverance. They cried out to God for, uh, for salvation, and God brings Moses and delivers them out. And then God brings them into the promised land, and he gives them the laws. He gives them the, the sacrifices and the special feast days and things like this. But instead of keeping them, they forsook it. And now God says, because of what they have done, they're ending up right back in the place they started from. They're going to end up right back in captivity. He says in verse number six, for lo, they are gone because of destruction. Assyria, when Assyria came, they were going to kill many of the Israelites. They were going to bring destruction. Many would die by the sword. Many would die because of even the, uh, as the Assyria would come and lay siege to a city, many would die of starvation. Many would die uh, through battle and, and through the sword. Many would be killed. The rest would be taken captive. And even those that thought, well, maybe we can escape, right? Notice what he says. 
Egypt shall gather them up. So Assyria is going to bring them into captivity, but those that think that they can escape captivity, they said, hey, we'll run down to Egypt. Egypt has been our friend. Egypt is one that we've gone to. So we'll run down to Egypt for safety. And what does he say about Egypt? Egypt shall gather them up. Memphis shall bury them. Memphis was a city in the northern part of Egypt, about 20 kilometers south of the Delta region, one of the northernmost cities of Egypt. And he said, you're going to run to Egypt, but guess what you're going to find? You're going to find death. The thing that you thought you were going to escape because, oh, we didn't get, we didn't get captured by the Assyrians, we escaped. God says, you're going to run to Egypt and you're going to find the very same thing. You're going to find destruction. You're going to find death. Thinking they would escape. Thinking that Egypt would help, but yet they would just find death. And he mentioned something interesting here, right? Egypt shall gather them up, Memphis shall bury them. But notice he says here, and this is really interesting, the pleasant places for their silver, nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. Interesting. I'll be honest with you, I had to read it a couple times. What does he mean by that? The pleasant places for their silver, nettles shall possess them. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. Well, I think if you just kind of keep in the context of what's happening here, and you look, he, the word here, the, when he says the, the pleasant places for their silver, the word pleasant there means something to take desire in. It is something that is desirable. It's to take pleasure in it. Well, what were they taking pleasure in? What was it that they were desiring? They took pleasure in their sensuality. They took pleasure in the worship of these false gods and what was taking place, the the immorality that they were just basically just living life to the fullest extent of what they thought it was. And he says, the pleasant places for their silver... The places that they would take their silver, their gold, their, their wealth to. The places that they thought would bring satisfaction. Whether that would be in the temple where all kinds of debauchery took place. Whether that would be in, in purchasing whatever they could to fulfill their, their desires. Whatever it was, he says, whatever it is that you think that you'll find satisfaction, whatever it is that you think that you'll find pleasure in, where you take your silver, where you take your finances, where you take your gold, wherever you think that's going to bring pleasant places, he says, nettles shall possess them. The thing that you thought would bring satisfaction is going to be overrun with nettles and weeds. All oh, those holy places, that, those, those tabernacles, those temples that you set up that you would go to and you would find a pleasure and quote-unquote satisfaction there for a short period of time. He said those places are going to be overrun with nettles. They're going to be overrun with weeds. They're going to be destroyed. He goes on. Thorns shall be in their tabernacles. If you remember as we were going through Amos as well, because remember, Amos and Hosea are kind of contemporaries here. Amos toward the beginning, Hosea now toward the end of, of Israel's reign here, or excuse, not Israel's reign, but uh, contemporaries in that time period. 
But remember, they were very, they were very much pleased by the palaces and the homes and everything that they were able to build. The beauty that they had in it. The tabernacles, the places that they would live, even the places they would worship. He says, thorns shall be in their tabernacles. The places they lived and had spent so much time and money on would be overrun with thorns. The things that they thought would bring satisfaction, the things that they thought were desirable, the things that they spent their silver on, their gold on, the things that they thought, this is what's going to bring happiness. God says, let me tell you what's going to happen to it. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be destroyed. It's very similar to what even Jesus says in the New Testament. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. What is he saying? We, we, we get so focused on material things, we think that these are the things that bring satisfaction. These are the things that bring pleasure. And we'll not necessarily give our silver, but we'll give our money to it. We'll give our time to it. We'll give everything we can to it, thinking that's what's going to bring satisfaction. And God says, let me tell you what's going to happen to it. It's going to be destroyed. Because those things cannot bring satisfaction. People will spend unimaginable amounts of money on possessions. Possessions. And God says they're just going to be destroyed. So what good was it really then? Why was it so important that we put so much emphasis on those things thinking that those are the things that are going to bring satisfaction, those are the things that are going to bring us pleasure when God says it's all just going to be destroyed. It's just going to be, the weeds are going to take it. Moth are going to eat it. Rust is going to corrupt it. It's all just going to decay. And yet, just as Israel did, so even we today put so much emphasis on things. These things are what is going to bring satisfaction. This, this, this new thing is going to really make me happy. God says, is it really? Because I know it's just going to be destroyed. It's just going to be turned to ash. It's going to, I mean, let's, <laughs> I, whoever started this was a genius. Anybody ever heard of something called the recycling business? Anybody ever heard of that? Recycling business, right? What is, <laughs> Brother Joel showed me the other day, they even have a place at Walmart, I don't think the Walmart here, but the Walmart in Richmond, where if you have an old phone or an old iPad or some old, uh, you know, electronic thing, there is a, there's a kiosk in, in Walmart, there in the, in the foyer, lobby, whatever you call that thing, and you can go in there and, and it will pay you for your old phone. Now, it may only be two bucks, <laughs> right? What are they doing? They're, they're taking something that someone, again, think about it. Let, let's just take a phone. When, when phones first came out, how much did a phone cost? Talking about a cell phone, right? When cell phones first came out, how much, did, I mean, now they're ridiculous, right? You can pay $1,000 for a cell phone. Guess what? In about three or four years, you know how much you're going to get for that cell phone? About two bucks. Three bucks. If it still powers on, maybe 10 <laughs> And yet we think that's what's going to bring me satisfaction. I've just got to have that. And I'm willing to spend my silver. I'm willing to spend my gold. I'm willing to spend my dollars on those things. And in just four, five, six years, I'm going to be trading it in for nothing. 
going to decay. It's going to be broken. It's going to deteriorate. So watch what he says. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. Notice as Hosea speaks here, this is no longer a future event that Hosea is predicting. Again, remember, as we've gone through the book of Hosea, there's, there's many years in, in, between time, in, in between passages of Scripture. In the beginning, he's talking future. He's prophesying about what's going to happen. But now as we come to chapter 9, no longer is this pro- prophetic. Now he says, the days of visitation are come. It's here. It's now. The days of recompense, they are now, he says. They are come. Judgment is now. The word visitation here means oversight, punishment, and appointment. The day of the appointment, God says, has come. The day of the appointment. God says, and by the way, Every one of us has an appointment. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. Every one of us has an appointment with death. Not one of us can escape it unless the Lord Jesus Christ tarries his coming. We all have an appointment. He says, Israel's appointment has come. Israel's time has come. God has been warning and warning and warning and warning and warning and warning. And God says, all right, the day is finally here. Your appointment is here. The day of visitation is come. It's interesting in Webster's 1828 dictionary, he he defines the word visitation as the sending of afflictions and distresses on men to punish them for their sins or to prove them. The day of visitation has come. The day of recompense has come. The word recompense means to repay or vengeance. To repay. The day of recompense, the day of repayment. The problem is, is the day of recompense that Israel is going to experience is not a good day of repayment. It's not a good day of recompense. It's a day of vengeance. Now, if someone owes you some money and they say, hey, I just want to let you know, I, I've, got, I've got your money here. Here it is. Here's, here's all that I owe you. You're like, That's a good day. They're, they're repaying me what they have borrowed from me. That's a good day. I like that. That's not the day of recompense that he's speaking about here. This is a day of judgment. This is a day of vengeance. And he says, Israel shall know it. May I say tonight, you can never think that God will be mocked and we can just keep getting away with it. Don't ever think that God can continually be mocked and somehow we think we're going to escape. Because God says over and over and over to Israel, judgment is coming, repent, judgment is coming, turn, judgment is coming. And they just kept saying, no, we don't need to do that. No, we don't need to do that. We're not concerned about that. We're, we're, we're God's children. He's not going to judge us until God says the day of recompense has finally come. God says what you sow, you will reap. That's recompense. 
What you sow, you'll reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's recompense. God says, you are going to be repaid what you have sown. Israel, this is what you have sown. This is what you're going to be repaid. The day of visitation is come. The day of recompense is come. It's interesting what he says. The prophet is a fool. Now, please understand, God is not saying the prophet is a fool. Hosea is not saying the prophet is a fool. Who is saying that the prophet is a fool? Israel was. Israel was saying the prophet is a fool. And again, think about it. God says, look, the day of visitation has come. The day of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. And this is why. This is what they said. They said, the prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. They had mocked Hosea when he prophesied. Remember, as we went through the book of Amos, and Amos stood there and proclaimed, hey, God's going to bring judgment. They laughed at him. They mocked at him. They said, hey, get back down to Tekoa where you're from. You don't, you don't belong up here. You're not even part of the northern tribe. You're part of the southern tribe. Get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. They had mocked God's prophets. They said, you guys are you're, you're fools. You're foolish. They said they were mad. You're insane. God, judge us. God bring judgment upon his people. God going to send us into captivity. You're insane. You're crazy. They said they were mad. Why? Why did they say they were mad? Why did they call them a fool? He says, because for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. They were calling them a fool. They were calling them mad and crazy because of the message they were preaching. The prophets, Hosea and Amos and Joel, these others, had preached this message of judgment. They said, you're crazy. You're a fool. They spoke of their sin. Because of your sin, God is going to bring judgment. It's very obvious as we go through Hosea and Amos and these other books, even going back through 2 Kings and things and seeing the, the sin of Israel. God says, because of your sin, and they preached against sin, and they hated him for it. They called them fools. But also he says, for the multitude of thine iniquity, their sin, and the great hatred... Sin we can understand. We can understand the, the messengers preaching against sin, and so they, they called them fools. But what, was, what hatred is he speaking of? I believe if you look here, they, they had such a, a hatred, a great hatred for the message of coming judgment. They absolutely despised the message of judgment. They did not believe that God would judge them. There was, there was no doubt in their mind, we can do whatever we want and God will not judge us. We're God's people. We were given the law. We have the tabernacle. We have the temple. 
God will not judge us. And they had such a hatred for the message of judgment that was going to come. They hated it. One, because they didn't like to hear it. They didn't like to hear that message of judgment. They didn't like to hear about their sin. And they really just did not believe that it would happen. Isn't it interesting that God says the very same thing about the last days? He says the very same thing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Notice what Paul tells Timothy. Again, 2 Timothy, the last book that Paul is writing here before his martyrdom. And yet in 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice what he says in verse number 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He said, look, and he, and he just told him, but back up in verse number two, preach the word, right? Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. But then he says, right after he says, preach the word, he said, look, they're not going to listen. They're not going to pay attention to it. They're not going to believe it. They're not going to want to listen to it. They don't want to listen to it. They don't want to listen to you talk about their sin. They don't want to listen to you talk about coming judgment. And by the way, that's not just for the world either. You know how many Christians don't like to hear that message? Christians don't want to hear their message of sin. Christians don't want to hear the message of coming judgment. You say, oh, Pastor, you see, I know you're wrong there because I'm saved and all my sin is under the blood. So, so there's no judgment. That's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's the judgment seat of Christ. You say, but pastor, I've heard you preach before. We're not going to be judged for our sins at the judgment seat of Christ. You're right. We're not going to be judged for our sins at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged for everything we've done for or against Christ at, his, at the judgment seat of Christ. For that which is good or bad. We're going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to give an account of how we have lived our life. How we have listened to the message of God's word. How we've listened to the message against our sin and against the, uh, about this coming judgment. Ah, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm okay. My sins are forgiven. God's not going to judge me. And we have the same attitude that Israel had. And God says the day of recompense is coming. We're going to be repaid for how we have lived our life. Yes, sin is paid for. Praise God for that. But he says that every Christian will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. Every Christian will stand before him and we will have to give an account of what we have done with our life. How we have lived it for Christ. Have we lived it for Christ? Or have we lived it for self? You know how a good way to know is? Where's your silver? Where's your silver? What did he, where did he say their silver was? Their silver, they had given it for all kinds of things, and he said it's all going to be burned up. It's all going to be destroyed. Why? Because it was all for self. It was all for self-satisfaction. Where's your silver? 
What are you investing your silver in? And again, please, please do not misunderstand me. I, I am not saying that it's wrong to, to save. I'm not saying it's wrong to have, have a phone or a computer or, or a nice house or a car. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But is that what we're, what we're living for? Is that where we're trying to find our satisfaction and, and, and the pleasure in of those things? Is that where our silver's at? Because he says to Israel, those places where you put your silver, those, those places, they're going to be destroyed. And then what are you going to have left? Metals and weeds. What are you going to have at the judgment seat of Christ? When all of the things, all the places we put our silver is destroyed, what are we going to have? Are we going to stand before the Lord with absolutely nothing? Because we were so concerned about putting our silver in things that brought no true satisfaction, things that were all temporary, instead of laying up treasure in heaven. He goes on. Think about this. Go go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what he says. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. I mean, we could, we could take each one of these things and go a whole message on each one. This is a great description of our country today. I'm not saying it's never been a description of any country before. I know there's always been countries that this has been a description of, but we fit right in here. Lovers of their own selves. What's in it for me? How am I going to get the best out of it? It's all about me. Covetous? Boasters? Proud? Never satisfied, always wanting more, blasphemers. I mean, just look at what's going on in our society and tell me they're not blaspheming God. Disobedient to parents. Listen, we are living in a society where children have no respect for their parents. And I'm not just talking about the world. You know how sad it is to see young people show absolute disrespect and disdain for their parents and their parents do absolutely nothing about it. Well, that's just them. No, that's not them. That's their flesh. And your, your job as a parent is to correct that, not let it continue. Unthankful? I'm telling you, we could go, (laughs) each one of these, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, nobody can even keep their word, right? It used to be, hey, if a man gave his word, that was his bond, right? Now, even if you sign a piece of paper, you're not sure if he's really telling you the truth anymore because somebody's going to try to find a way around that. False accusers. 
incontinent, those that are just without total self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good? Is that not our society? Calling that which is good evil and evil good? Traitors, heady, those that are rash, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And watch what it says. Having a form of godliness. There's the religion. There's the religion. Hey, I'm in church. Hey, I have a Bible. Hey, I give. Hey, I sing when it's time to sing. There's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The form is there. The the rituals are there. That's exactly what Israel had. It was the form. It was the rituals. But God said, I don't care anything about it. It means nothing to me. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, that's our society. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Think we're so wise. And yet we can't even realize the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also, watch this, resist the truth. They resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They're resisting the truth of the word of God. They don't want to hear it. This is what Hosea was saying. They had a hatred for the word of God. They had a hatred for the messages that were being preached. A hatred for the message of sin and of coming judgments. Go back to Hosea with me. The days of visitation are come. The days of recompense are come. Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is mad for the multitude of thine iniquity and the great hatred. Watch what he says in verse number eight. The watchman of Ephraim was with my God, but the prophet is a snare of a fowler in his ways and hatred in the house of his God. He continues, says, look at what they did to those that God had set up as the watchman. Those that God had set up to be the watchmen, those are, who are to be the spiritual watchmen, those proclaiming the truth. And watch what it says. The prophet is a snare of a fowler in all his ways. You know what he's saying? The people tried to entrap and ensnare the prophets. They had such a hatred for them and for the word of God, that they would literally try to ensnare and trap them to be able to discredit them. Now, I'm not talking about a literal trap, a little ensnarement, but they would try to ensnare them. They would try to trap them. Is the world not doing this today? Look at how many preachers are falling. And tell me there's not a target on them. Look at how many preachers are are falling, falling into sin, falling out of the ministry. Look, I understand they're accountable to God. But 
when you have a nation that is totally turned against God, says we don't want to hear it, and we're going to do everything we can, instead of honoring the man of God and respecting the man of God, we're going to try to ensnare the man of God, we're going to try to get him to fall so he'll shut up and stop preaching this message of sin and judgment. Let's try to get him into the same sin. Let's try to ensnare him and entrap him so that he'll just be quiet and now the message will be gone. You think about what the devil's doing. You think it's coincidence that so many are falling into sin? I don't think so. Why? Because the devil is trying to discredit them so that people will turn away from those who say they speak the truth. You can't believe those preachers. I mean, look at what's happening. Look at all these people falling. You can't believe preachers. You can't believe the church. You can't believe religion. Stay away from those things. These are people that said they believe the Bible. Well, if that's what they think about the Bible, you probably better stay away from them. And they're trying to ensnare and entrap them. Even in the house of God, notice what it says. And hatred in the house of his God. The prophet is a snare of a fowler in his ways and hatred in the house of his God. Even in the preaching Even in the house of God, they would show their hatred for the watchmen. They would show their hatred for the prophets of God. Confronting them, opposing them, mocking them, ridiculing them, arguing with them. Simply for trying to be obedient to what God had told them to do. You understand why God says the day of recompense is now? The day of recompense is at hand. It's not just in ignoring the message now. Now you're trying to take those who are preaching the message and trying to get them to fall. You're trying to ensnare them and you're literally showing hatred toward them. Simply for preaching the message of God. Preaching against sin and preaching judgment is coming. And if you don't turn from your ways, God's going to judge you. Isn't it funny how many people get mad at the preacher when it's not even his message? It's not even his message. It's, it's God's message. But we'll get mad at the preacher. How dare he preach on my sin? How dare he say that? Wait, he didn't say it. God did. And if, if you got a problem with it, Maybe it means you got a problem with it. Maybe it means you need to get right. Maybe it means you need to repent of it. Maybe it means God's saying, hey, this is your time. Repent of it. Turn. Because judgment is going to come. If you don't, if you don't repent, if you don't turn, there is a judgment day. There is a day of recompense. It's coming. For Israel, it was now. He said, it's now. The day of recompense is here. They had so deeply corrupted themselves. By the way, those were God's words. That's what it says, verse number nine. They have deeply corrupted themselves. You want to see how bad? As in the days of Gibeah. See, that doesn't really tell me anything. Well, I'm not able to go into it tonight But God says they were as corrupt as those of Gibeah 
who had committed such atrocious sins against a Levite and his wife back in the book of Judges, chapter 19 and 20. He said they have deeply corrupted themselves. They are so vile. They are so corrupt. They are so wicked. What does he say? Therefore, he, God, will remember their iniquity. He, God, will visit their sins. I don't know why we think somehow we can hide it from God. But God said they've become so corrupt that I will visit the iniquity of their sins. And again, that that word visit is not talking about just hanging out together. (laughs) No, no, no. Remember, we we looked at that in verse verse number uh, six, or excuse me, verse number seven. The word visitation has has the idea of judgment. And he says, I will remember their iniquity. I will visit their sins, God says. God says, look, I've given you opportunity to repent and repent and repent and repent. You've taken the message and thrown it away. You've taken the messengers. You're trying to corrupt them. You're showing your hatred for the messengers and you've become so corrupt so vile the illustration that he gives is absolutely a wicked horrible illustration he says the day of recompense is now you say but i thought god was a god of mercy oh he is he's been merciful for over 600 years to israel I'd say that's pretty merciful. But God says you've become so corrupt, so vile, recompense has come. Christians, you say, well, that's, that's all for Israel. Yeah, that, that's for Israel. But how are we living our life for the Lord? Where is our silver going to? Do we think that that's what brings satisfaction? The pleasures and things of this world, that's where we're going to be happy? When God speaks to our heart, do do we get mad at the messenger? Never coming back to this church again. How dare he preach against my sin? When will we wake up and realize God's simply trying to wake us up? God's simply trying to get our attention and saying, hey, enough is enough. It's time to repent. And I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. But here's the thing. That opportunity to repent will not go on forever. It won't go on forever. You say, when's it going to stop? I have no idea, and neither do you. Only God knows. You say, well, I'll, I'll just take one more day. You don't know if you have one more day. I'll do it next year. You don't know if you're going to be here next year. So instead of waiting, instead of pushing it off, God says, why don't you just do it now? Just do it now.
make sure you're right with God now. As God speaks to your heart about sin or something that's in your life, don't put it off, don't put it off, don't put it off. Get it right now. Because, friend, you and I don't know when the day of recompense is going to be. But we do know that God says one day we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will have to give an account for what we have done. How we have lived our life for the Lord, whether good or bad. And he says, those that have done well, he says, there'll be a reward. But those who have simply lived for self will stand there in shame. They have nothing to offer the Lord. Because all their silver was wasted on things that were temporal. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I know Hosea's dealing with Israel. But God, it's very applicable for Christians today. Lord, so often we're more concerned about finding pleasure in things of this world than we are in the things of God. And that's where we put our silver. Lord, we don't like to hear messages about sin. We don't like to hear messages that we will stand before the Lord. But it's what we need. We need that reminder. And Lord, if there is sin in our life, we need to make it right. And you offer that repentance. You've offered for us to come and repent. And you'll forgive us. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, don't let us just put it off and put it off and put it off. But Lord, may we get it right, right away. Because there is a day of recompense coming. One of their heads bowed and their eyes closed. The piano's just going to play softly tonight. Maybe there's something that God is speaking to your heart about this evening. Maybe it's where your silver is. Maybe you've been so consumed about putting your silver in things that are temporal that you thought would bring satisfaction. Maybe for a time it did, but now it's just wasted. It's gone. Maybe there is some sin in our life that God is saying, hey, you need to get this right. You know it's there. You need to make it right. Because one day we will stand before the Lord. Wouldn't it be better to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant?